Hey, this is Chris, the host of the Overflowing Life podcast. Before we dive into today's episode, I have two quick but important requests to share with you. First, we're planning something really special and exciting at the end of this season, a question and response episode. I'd love for you to be a part of that, and all you got to do is follow us on Instagram at The Overflowing Life and DM us your burning questions or any topics you're seeking clarification on. Your participation will make this episode truly interactive and enriching for everybody. Second, we're a brand new podcast. So we rely on your support to grow and reach more listeners. If you're enjoying this content, please subscribe and share it with two other friends who you believe would find value in our content as well. Your recommendation really means the world to me and helps our community thrive. Thank you so much for your support. Now on with the show. We are not designed to work, 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 work. We think we can. If you're listening and you're like, no, no, I can, I can. No, you can't. You can't. You're not made that way. There's never been a human being that is made to work, 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 and live vibrantly. Welcome, friends, to this episode of the Overflowing Life Podcast, where we navigate the crossroads of modern leadership, authentic living, and the redemptive power of business. I'm your host, Chris Lagarde. Today, we continue with part two of three with my engaging conversation with Phil Carnuccio, where this time we focus on the crucial practices that empower leaders to create lasting, profound, and sustainable impact. If you missed part one, go back and check out episode five of this season because we pick up right where we left off. So this episode isn't just about insights, it's about transformation. And we dive deep, we challenge norms, and we also offer practical steps for integrating these powerful practices into your leadership journey. Come join Phil and I for this thought-provoking and deeply enriching conversation, and I trust it resonates with you as much as it did with us. Why is solitude and silence the place that that like one should start when it comes to some of these things, or is it is is there something else that another place they should start? There's probably a couple entry a couple entry points, Chris, but I think it's a great place to start. Um, By the way, Ruth Haley Barton's book Invitation. To silence and solitude, great, great start, great book to start with. Um, let me just say this about silence and solitude. I, you know, life is found, life, life is found in our union and communion with Jesus. Silence and solitude teaches me, and it's important for the people to hear these words. It teaches me how to be with God without words. It teaches that's, me. <laughs> that's that's hard to do with people, much less, you know, the almighty. <laughs> I know. Chris, I used to judge these. I used to like go out to breakfast and I'd see this older couple in their 80s and they're eating and there's no words. And I used to almost judge them like, don't you have something to say to each other? I have a whole new perspective of that. They are so at ease with one another. They don't need words. Yeah. Can you imagine? I think all of us can almost feel the longing. Can I be honest with you? The longing that I could be with another human being and there's no expectation to hear from them Mm -hmm. and there's no expectation for me to speak, but here's the key, and we're at ease. I'm at rest. 
I don't have to say a word. And I think we're so agenda-driven, Chris, even with God, that we have expectations that we should talk to him. But listen, we also have expectations that he's going to say something. I just want to give it a little challenge. Can you be with God without him saying a thing? And silence and solitude teaches our souls how to just be with God and be at rest with God without any agenda, without a list of things to pray through, without me expecting for him to give me this big epiphany, right? Like, I'm being quiet. Give me something. Can we just crawl up in our father's lap in a sense and rest there? Because he is good. So how, and, and I just address those that, that may be listening that aren't coming from a perspective of faith. How would somebody like that, how might they look at it? Right. I, I, and you, know, you and I share the same perspective. And yet um, I think regardless of where you're at, there is a practice here that has life in it. And so it, it, I agree with you that it's like, Hey, what, regardless of how you see or perceive God um, you know, we all worship something like you said, we're all compelled by something. Um, and I think for those that are not from a faith perspective, that's that solitude to hear and to uh, be aware, observe what's going on, what that inner dialogue is, and uh, start to be uh, aware of ego versus essence, right? Yep. I think, you know, that's kind of how I would look at it. How would you say it differently, uh, maybe for sure. somebody who doesn't have a framework of, of faith? Yeah, I, maybe I'll get more practical. If I, if you do not have a framework of faith, um, I would, I would enter silence and solitude by focusing on a phrase or a word or a desire to focus you. Because let's, can we just all admit because of the rat race, our brains and our phones and our computers, which our, our, our brains are trained to bounce. So I just want to say this about silence and solitude. Be gracious to yourself. Your brain is going to bounce into what you have to do. The reason why, Chris, I'm saying start with a centering word or phrase. I'm here. It could be the word love. It could be just a centering phrase that you take your mind, your heart, you just center on it and just center on that phrase. And if your mind bounces to, oh, I have to go pick up my son. Oh. I have to write that email. Oh, just come back, come back to the phrase, let it center you, be present around that phrase and learn to sit in silence and solitude. Do not start, don't start lists, just center around that phrase. So I, if you've never done this, Chris, I'd say start with one minute a day, one minute, set your clock, set your alarm for one minute. Focus on a phrase, around that phrase for one minute, and that, and then move on. Then after a week, maybe you go two minutes, three minutes, because it's very hard. And do not get discouraged. Do not get discouraged if in that minute, your brain bounces about 10 times to something and you have to bring it back. It's like it's like exercising a muscle. You're not used to this. And it's teaching your body, your mind, your heart, your soul to learn to be present in silence and solitude. Can I say one more thing, Chris, and then you can interrupt me. Go ahead. You could be in solitude 
You can be in solitude and not have silence. You could be, have no noise around you, but your brain is not silent. It's screaming. You're hearing voices. So silence and solitude teaches you to be alone and then help your brain to be quiet, quiet. And you help quiet your brain around a phrase or around a word. So I don't know if I answered your question. I got more practical. No, no. I think that that, that actually is, is really helpful because don't bite off more than you can chew. If you're starting a new habit or doing something, you know, yes. a lot of us like New Year's resolutions don't work because, oh, I'm going to go to the gym seven days a week for five hours at a time. And it's like, that's way more than you could ever hope to do. Um, yes. So, you know, um, another great book on habits, um, James Clear, uh, you know, Atomic Habits, he talks about just starting with putting your gym shoes on. Don't even go to the gym. Just start with something. So a minute, you could do a minute, right? And um, there is, and I cannot pronounce his name, but there is a, a guy from Hungary who studied flow. Um, Chek Mihai, I, I can't pronounce his name, but what they discovered is that, uh, and what they know is that the unaided mind tends towards chaos. So by giving it a centering word, prayer, focus and just gently because you will you will get off of it it will tend towards chaos bringing it gently back no judgment gently back to it and it's just like uh you know i've been crossfitting you just started crossfitting a year two years ago um i i'm into my third year chris third year there you go there you go um and uh i started eight years ago and i remember the first two weeks the first time they were just assessing my fitness i did like five squats and my legs cramped up i'm like this is not good you know and then yesterday i don't know no yeah yesterday did you do yesterday's workout yes yes 80 wall balls it's like okay i'm sore but, you know, it's like, okay, I can do it. And so it's just like that. It's like, hey, now, you know, it didn't take me eight years to get to the point where I could do that. But it's like, just like with solitude and, and reflection, contemplation, it's like, start where you can and just build. Be patient with yourself and know that, like, I know for me, when I first started these a few years ago, it, I saw some results so to speak, right away. I could sense a different piece when I started just saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to step out of this flow and just, okay. You know, and, and it just brought peace to me right away. And I was like, okay, let me do more of it. Let me do more of it. Uh, I will say for those that are ADHD, the solitude and focus looks a little bit different. I'm not an expert. Uh, I have some folks that I'm talking to that maybe I'll get in on, on here for those that do are diagnosed and officially ADHD. A lot of us say maybe we're ADHD, but haven't been diagnosed. And I know it's a little bit different. Um, but for most of us, um, it is just start small and, and just give yourself some grace with that. Yeah. A lot of grace, a lot of grace. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. So solitude and science. So start with something you can do like, okay, let's say somebody starts, they, they get into that. Um, what might be a more medium level solitude, silent practice? What, what might that look like? What should somebody be maybe aiming for? That's not like super high end, but maybe a little bit medium pace. I mean, I would go, if I was starting, I would start with, you know, two minutes to five minutes. Right. And then you just extend that. Give it, give yourself a shot at, at 10 minutes. Um, one thing that helps me is when I go into silence and solitude, I go find space. Sometimes going to find a different space, not your workspace. It's kind of my silence and solitude space. I'll go find space that helps me center myself. I would use the term around the presence of God. Um, 
but I, to center myself. And then I would just stretch it. So, you know, I think a great goal is to get to 20 minutes. And the key, Chris, I said this before, but I'll say it again. Set your clock, set your alarm so that you're not breaking. To go, Where am I? You just set your alarm to go off in 20 minutes. Get your body in a great position. Get your, you don't want to fall asleep. This is not time to lay down on your couch, right? So get in an attentive position. I, I tend to sit up, get my feet on the floor. I'm kind of doing that now a little bit. Get my feet on the floor. I take a deep breath, breathing in and out. Breath helps me. I'll just, I'll just release what's happening. I'll, and that's my breath prayer. It's, it's whatever it is. Lord, I'm here. Love. I'm present. And, um, and then I settle in and my alarm set and I, I would stretch it, you know, see if you can get to 20 minutes. Hmm. I, it, it's been proven when we, uh, when we breathe in, hold it for a second. And then we breathe out slower than we yes. breathe in. Our central nervous system knows it can relax and it's safe. Right. So, so to, to do that, uh, is, is important to, you know, it's box breathing or square breathing, whatever you want to call it. It's like, okay, breathe in for a count of three or four, hold it for four or five, and then breathe out for six or seven, you know, and just, you know, go through that rhythm. It, it, it literally will, even if you're in the middle of a, of a really stressful meeting, you can use that to, to, um, you know, kind of bring your nervous system down. So that might be a practice you aim for, um, every day, um, work up, to that 20 minutes. What about solitude? Uh, one more thing I would say. Oh, yeah. One Go more ahead. thing I would say. I would say for some of you who are visual, lighting a candle, um, it kind of like helps you be in that like, okay, either, hey, this is the presence of the Lord with me or it just centers you. Lighting a candle, breathing, body position, just pay attention, pay attention to all those. Yeah. Now, something I want to get into, uh, just touch on at least, is the the idea of solitude and finding either um, an extended amount of time, or you know, when we are having those the the you know the meditative time, the prayer time that you're just talking about of silence and solitude daily, but then longer term, right? Um, John Mark Comer in his book uh, Relentless, a Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, talks about how some explorer in South America or something, you know, went down there, hired or got a bunch of natives and was like, okay, um, you know, indigenous folks and said, Hey, I'm, I need your help schlepping this stuff through the, the jungle. And they got a day's in, it was night, they rested. And then in the morning he was all ready to go. And then his, you know, the, the people he hired to help were like, we're not leaving yet. We're waiting for our souls to catch up with us. Right now. That's not exactly solitude, but I know when I first that was the the picture I had in my head when I went on my first time of about 24 to 36 hours to be away from everybody by myself. And I, it was like, you know, it's kind of like when you break through the sound barrier, the plane shaking. And then it was like the first couple hours, it was like that maybe five or six hours. And then eventually it was like smooth sailing. I'm like, okay, okay. My soul's caught up with me. And that effect lasted I don't know how long, maybe another week or so afterwards, but um, I don't know. What, what would you say from a solitude standpoint, practicing something that's a little bit more intentional, maybe more longer? Yeah, I would. I would. Uh, that's good, Chris. I would say in the beginning, in the beginning, when you're practicing solitude, because some of you, if we say, if, if Chris and I said, hey, we want to give you a challenge, spend a half a day alone. 
you're gonna you're just gonna freak out. Like some of you're like, no way. But but what helps, especially if you're someone like me, like seventy on seven on the Enneagram, I like I move at a, at a fast pace. I created a little agenda and structure because I'm like, what am I gonna do? Like I'm gonna sit there. What am I gonna just sit in a room? But I went. I went to a place I enjoyed, where I could do a hike and a walk alone. So I put a little structure in my half a day, and I'd encourage you to start with a half a day of solitude and structure it. And then in the structure, Chris, be sensitive because you might start to be at ease, and you're like, I don't need to go do something else. I'm just gonna stay. I'm going to just stay here, whether it's a walk or a moment or you're by a river or whatever is happening, be sensitive in the moment. But sometimes having, my point is this, sometimes having a little structure helps you feel secure about entering it. So I'd encourage that, pick a half a day and create a little structure. That structure could be, I'm going to, um, you know, in for the first couple of moments, I'm going to read something that's inspiring. I would probably read something from the Bible. Someone else might read a book, you know, and then after that, I'm just going to journal on that. And then after that, I'm going to go for a walk because I like physical. I'm going to walk for an hour and just walk. Just go for a walk. Um, and then before you know it, the half a day is gone and you're like, I really, so I really enjoyed it. Don't torture yourself. Don't stick yourself in a room that isn't beautiful, isn't enjoyable. And Chris, here's another thing. Have a meal alone. Eat slow. The first time I did that, I cried the whole time. I'm like, what is wrong with me? It, it was beautiful. I wasn't rushing. I was cutting, putting down, because we don't eat slow. We eat fast. Put, I, was, I would put it in. I tasted the food. I, 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 I thank God for the food. It was beautiful. Bro, the first time I went on a walk and was intentional about my pace, first of all, it was infuriating when I first started. I'm like, I just want to go. But it was like, okay, let's walk at that three mile an hour pace. But then I started looking around and noticing things yes. I hadn't noticed yes. before. And it's the same thing with like eating. It's like, hey, if you're going to go do that and take a walk, make it intentional and walk slower than you normally would. Good. Yes. Eat slower. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Don't, if I said read, don't go and read a book. Read a little bit. Just read a little bit and then be reflective on it. You can always feel it, Chris, talking to you. Like, I want to go do my half a day right now. Right. It's <laughs> so you feel excited. Create it so you're going to enjoy it. Yes. Don't, don't. It's not torture. No. No, it's not torture. So, Put a little structure to it in the begin in the beginning. The more you're at ease with it, honestly, the more you're at ease, the less structure you'll need. That's right. That's right. So let's touch on uh, the contemplation and reflection aspect, right? So so once we start kind of getting used to the solitude and silence and freeing up our our, our soul space, as we're calling it, uh, how, how why why is why should I then move to contemplation and reflection? What's important about that? Yeah, can I separate those yes, for please. a little bit? Yeah. Uh, Chris, in my brain. Um, you know, one of the things missing in our culture, Chris, is gratitude. Mm. And gratitude is really good for the soul. 
again, spiritually speaking, there's that side, but you're a business leader. We don't stop enough to look back. And this is part of contemplation, part of it. We do not spend enough time stopping to look back, to be thankful for what we just experienced. You, Some of you business leaders, you have experienced some things in the last week that are unbelievable, but you don't, you have not even spent time digesting the beauty of it. A conversation with someone, just a, where the dial moved just a little bit, they got a concept or a great sale that happened, or maybe two people in your company reconciled a relationship, or you can name them. We don't, we don't stop and look back. And we're not, we're not full of gratitude. So part of its center of contemplation, we'll get the reflection, is gratitude. That is so missing. How does that affect my soul? It lifts my soul because I'm reminded things are not as bad as you think. Like there are good things happening. <laughs> so that's the a little bit of the contemplation side. To delight, to look back in our world, Chris, we know God created. And what did he do on the seventh day? He looked back and he said, he said, he said, he said something significant. He said, this is really good. <laughs> and I don't, I don't think, and that was God's Sabbath. Like that was his, con he was contemplating. And I think we're made in his image. Uh, I would argue every human being's made in his image. And part of the way we're made and designed by God is to look back like he did and go, there's good here. I know live, we live in a broken world. I know there's a lot of things that we can look at and say, ah, but there's good and we miss it. And so contemplation is about partly about delighting, looking back and being thankful. And what you focus on expands. So if you're focusing on the negative, you're going to see more of it and it's going to be more present. If you focus on what's, you know, the gratitude, not that we're going to be ignorant of, you know, the things that aren't good, but, you know, to, to focus on the gratitude, there is physiologically and spiritually something that happens when, when you do that. Thank you for bringing that up because you're right. We don't talk about that enough and it is extremely important. Yeah, it's powerful and it, it changes us. It changes us. And then we're fueled by joy. Yeah. Instead of yeah. We're, what are we fueled by, right? That's going back to our beginning of our conversation, Chris. What's fueling us? I'm fueled by joy. I'm fueled by hope. Not fueled by anxiety or fear that just sucks the life out of me like a tube, sucking all my energy out of me. I'm fueled by a sense of hope, anticipation, right? Love uh, rather than full of anxiety. But there's reflection. That renews too. That renews. It renews. It's a great word, Chris. Gratitude renews. It does. Joy and gratitude. It's a, it's a well that never ends. So when it comes to contemplation reflection, I mean, you know, is there, I chose those words specifically because contemplation to me is more, um, uh, ruminating is like the negative. I, I, rumination is more negative, but like just kind of mulling it over is contemplation. Then reflection is actually like, okay, well, let me, let me think about that. Let me look at that. And what are my thoughts? What, what's going on? You know, observe reflection is to me, at least is observing 
the story I'm making up about it and what happened and where am I wrong and whatnot. And I don't know if you would, you would agree with yeah. that. And then I would love to, like, yeah. And then we'll, we'll talk about how do we practically do that? What might, what might the habit be that, that we would look at? Yeah. I, I love that definition of what you're saying, Chris. That's a great way to look at it. I'm just for now. I mean, I feel like I'm slicing off a section of contemplation by looking back and being full of gratitude. Reflection to me uh, is a little different in that I pay more attention to what actually is happening inside of me. Because uh, again, we're talking about the soul. And when I say what is happening inside of me, there's a little term, there's a little term we use or I practice, it's called the prayer of examine. And it's simply this, it's simply this. And this is reflect part of reflection, not all of reflection. It's spending time saying, wow, like at the end of your day, where, where did I feel alive today? Oh my goodness. When I was doing that podcast with Chris, I felt so alive. Or where, where did I feel like life was coming out of me? Like I didn't feel alive today. Oh, I noticed when I was doing those emails, I just like life was coming out of me. Why is that important? Because we're not even aware of our souls or what brings us life or what doesn't bring us life. Not that we can always choose those things, but people can't even name their own desires anymore, Chris. Like, what do you love? What do you love? To, I don't know. I just live. Wait a second. Why? Because they're not slowing down to reflect. Each day, reflect deeply about your soul. Well, how do I reflect on my soul? Where did you feel alive? What brought you life? What did you enjoy? Oh, and also reflect on what was really hard. Reflect on it. Think about it. Note it. Note it. It's really important. Why? We're talking about what's compelling you. And if you're not spending time reflecting on what's compelling you, then you're completely unaware. Mm. Um, so contemplation, some gratitude reflection is slowing down enough to pay attention to, my gosh, when I had that conversation with that person, I was really angry. Why? Why was I angry? That's reflection. That Not just I was angry. What's going on inside of me? Why was I angry? Why was I fearful? And it's, it's observing the story behind the story. So the story, the first story is yes. I'm angry and upset at this person. But there's a story behind that because somewhere, at least from my my framework, I say, hey, well, that's triggering something that it reminds you of, right? A great question I love to ask sometimes when somebody's in that frame of mind is like, how old did you feel? So for me, there was, this, there was something yeah. that happened like a year or two ago. And, um, uh, you know, somebody came at me first thing in the morning. Uh, I, I went into this training and they came at me and like accused me of something. And right away I was triggered. And, you know, it took me a few days, one, to feel it because as a five, we tend to put off our feelings and processing them. But it was like almost a week later, I remember in my car, I was reflecting about what was happening there. And it dawned on me what I was feeling. I was feeling like 12 years old. And it reminded me of a, a situation that happened when I was younger with you know, my dad would blow up and some things like that. And it's like, oh, hmm, there's an agreement I made there about when somebody does that, 
how I react. And it's a pattern that's been in my life for a long time. And it was, and I started, I mean, I kind of started become aware of that anyway before that, but it was, I, I recognized it and like, okay, next time in that situation, I don't have to like become completely, I froze essentially. And then I ran in that, in that situation. Not a, not the person probably couldn't tell that I froze and ran, but like inside I froze and ran and it's like, okay, next time, let me just say, this isn't about me. I don't need to get triggered. And let's just hear what's going on, you know, but it's because I reflected and looked at things, what was going on inside of me and, um, took the time to do that, that I recognize that. So. Yeah. And you, and you're able, you're able to name yes. it, you know, you're able to name it. I'll, I'll, another term on this, Chris, that I use is learning to find your confession. And here's what I mean by that. All of us want deep formation. I think all of our listeners are probably like, I want my heart and soul to change. And they wonder how, right? How, why, how? How does real deep spiritual formation happen in all of our souls? And I think because we're not reflective, Chris, we're shallow in our confession. And I personally think there's deep formation that happens with deep confession to each other. But we throw either us Christians, if I could bust on us for a second, we're surfacing. We don't reflect. We just throw a quick verse at it and we don't do what you just said. Hmm. Why am I angry right now? Why am I fearful right now? What is going on underneath? And I would say even giving permission to God, like David did in Psalm 139, God, search my heart. Like, I don't know. It's a mystery to me. Can you show me? You know, if you don't come from a Christian background, you just spend time sitting and don't be quick, but just say, hey, just ask the question, what is happening deep within me? Find your confession. And then when you see it and I go to my brother or my sister or someone that loves me and say, hey, I, I just need to say this out loud. I think part of what's creating this anxiety in me is I want to control. And I just, would you either pray for me or think of me when it comes to that, that's called finding your confession. And when we do that, Chris, I think there's a deeper formation. And when there's a deeper formation, then we're compelled. We're better compelled by love. Going back to the beginning of our conversation. Yeah. I, I, I've heard that. It, it's truth telling. It's telling the truth about what's really going on there, right? Um, you call it confession, truth telling, whatever it is. And that that leads to change. That changes when you when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And like, it, that's very, very true. It's just true. Chris, going back to the beginning, if we don't slow down and pay attention, we won't get there. And a lot of people are not getting there because they're not practicing silence, solitude, contemplation, and reflection. And this takes time and you have to slow down and pay attention that's why we must interrupt the pace. We must. Well, so let's talk about rest, right? That's the next one, which I'm, I'm being mindful of time. And I know we're, we're going a little long here, but I, I feel there's a ton of value. Um, and I, I, you know, so let's talk about rest. Um, for all of these reasons, right? You know, by, by adopting a pattern of rest within the, the Jewish and Christian faith, it's called Sabbath, right? And that's what you alluded to on the seventh day. God stopped. He looked back, reflected, but stopped. Um, and having that rhythm of rest is really, really important. Especially as business leaders, it's like, dude, 
Like, I, I gotta, I gotta get some sales done. I gotta make this business happen. Like, okay, but rest is important. Why? So loaded, Chris. It's great. Great question. Um, we are, we as human beings have limits. We, we are not designed to work, 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 work. We think we can. If you're listening and you're like, no, no, I can, I can. No, you can't. You can't. You're not made that way. There's never been a human being that is made to work, 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 and live vibrantly. You can work, 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 but you won't live vibrantly. So why, going back to our original, uh, our original uh, thesis is we want to be driven what, what's driving you uh, inside? Now, I would say that resting, resting sets the tone for your work. So some people are resting too much. They need to work more. <laughs> so we're not saying, we're not saying don't work. That's right. Remember, it was like six days of work and then a day of resting. And that day, though, affects the other six days of work. And I would just say that those who haven't done a day of rest, which we'll get into what a day of rest can look like maybe, try it. Just try it. Just try it. Trust. I guarantee, I'll make this guarantee, your company and you will be healthier and more vibrant if you take a day to allow your mind and your heart to stop work and to rest and to look back and delight and do everything we've been saying up to this point in the Mm. podcast. Uh, so, um, there's a quote that I believe Ruth Haley Barton, uh, gives in her, her book, uh, rhythms of work and rest, uh, another really great book, um, that talks about Sabbath and sabbatical. And, uh, in there, the quote is, if you can't, if you aren't resting, if you can't rest, then you're a slave to something. Right. And that again, goes back to what compels us, right? What our compulsions, I, I put it this way. Right. And, and I know some of you are listening, but I, I'm putting my hands out in front of me and I say it's like this. It's like if, if my compulsions are what compels me are in my fists and I put them behind my back. Right. It's like I'm handcuffed and I'm being led by them and I have no clue. They're a blind spot. Right. And if I so if I live that way, it's not going to go well, as opposed to like saying, OK, I know this is going to be scary, but I'm going to bring them in front of me and I'm going to open my hands up and I'm going to look at them. And, and like, okay, let, let, let me examine them and know them. So I'm no longer a slave to them. And that's, it's like, Hey, if you can't take a day of rest on a regular basis every week, I would strongly recommend you look at what's going on and what is compelling you because you likely are really held captive by that. And I would challenge you to say, Hey, if you're held captive by that, is that how you want to live? Is it, are you really, and, and, you know, study show, it was interesting. Um, the French revolution tried to make the workday 10 10 days, right? And it was seven. They tried to do 10. And you know what happened? They weren't productive. People, the suicide rate went up, um, health issues skyrocketed. Like it it, it was, you know, proven that, you you know, you've got to have some rhythm of rest within that. Um, Instead of 10 days, you know, they're, I guess they were working nine and resting on the 10th, but it's like, oh, we, we can't do that. And that's, you know, the 24 hour and the 30, 365 days a year, those, those two periods are all like kind of, you know, in, in with the stars, right. It's kind of governed by the stars. Um, and yet where do we get the seven, you know, seven day work rhythm from? Well, it's, it's scripture. Uh, and there's something to that, that we have been, um, you know, and I find it fascinating that even as a, um, 
Christians that, you know, we, we hold to these truths and we say the 10 commandments are important. What's the fourth commandment? Do you know which one that is? And most people will have no idea. And it's the Sabbath. It's we've got to rest. And there's a reason yeah. for that. We are not made to just drive yeah. ourselves into the ground. Yep. Which is interesting, Chris, because it came out of the Israelites being in Egypt that worked for 450 years. And God said, I've just, I've called you apart. And part of being my people is that you will, um, you'll, you'll take a day that will set it the tone for the other six days. And I'll just say this about a day of rest or Sabbath where, you know, again, if you're nervous about it, it's okay to structure it a little bit. Like, like say, Hey, in the morning, I'm going to spend some time. We've already defined contemplation. I'm going to spend some time looking back, being grateful. That's what my wife and I do. We like to have breakfast together. We, we, we either go out or we cook it slowly. We have our little coffee decaf for me because I have too much energy and we sip and we delight. It's amazing. It's so amazing. We light a candle for the day. It sets a tone and we'll delight for as long as we want to delight for. And then we'll say, let's go take a walk. And we walk slow. It's my favorite day of the week, Chris. It's my favorite day. We plan, listen, we plan for the day of rest. We plan, we think ahead. When is it? You know, we plan. We just don't let it come upon us. We plan a little bit so when it comes, we're ready to to enter it. I like the idea of um, you know, the the that day should be the like really where you begin. Right? You begin from a place of rest, right? You don't end with it, right? So you're heading in the mindset of looking at it like, hey, this is the beginning of things and I'm going to head into my week with rest, you know, from a a, a pattern standpoint. It's like, hey, the and it, as far as my understanding, I could be wrong. My understanding is the Jewish day started in the evening. It was evening and then morning yes, and then the day, right? So if you start from that place of rest daily, right? That's how I look at it. When I go to bed, that's when my day starts. Um, and, and making sure to start from that place of rest instead of from a place of hurry and drain, right? What does Sabbath or rest do for my soul? The distance between my head and my heart is about 16 inches. I could sit here and say what you said, Chris, in the beginning of our podcast, what is surrender? We could talk about that all day. Like, how do you know when your heart is experiencing surrender? Sabbath is a practice that helps that truth sink from my head, knowing about rest, to my heart experiencing rest because it reminds me ultimately that you had your hands behind your back. I love that illustration, Chris, and you brought your hands in front. It reminds my soul that I'm ultimately not yes, in control. There you go. In our language, I would say it reminds my soul. It envelops my soul with the truth that God has me. And so nothing does that like Sabbath. And you bring up a great point that it, it reminds us we are not in control. Again, whether you have a faith like like yours or whatever, it's like, look, we we aren't in control. You aren't. And so by stopping and resting, it takes some faith, some belief that, hey, everything's going to be okay. Um, <clears throat> exactly. So let's do this. Let's touch on community, authentic community. And then I want to touch on rule of life, 
right? We've got about another 15 or so minutes. Um, and you know, I know it flew by I Chris. It, it, flew- it all, I know it flies by man. Um, <clears throat> when you're having fun. So, uh, authentic community. So we've got solitude, silence, we've got contemplation, reflection, we've got rest. However, we are made to be in community. Um, could you speak to that and the role, especially for leaders? You've been a leader for a long time um, and arguably in one of, in my opinion, the hardest leadership role I think there is um, for various reasons. Um, can you talk to us about the need for a, a safe, authentic community where you can be real, where you can be authentic and share what's really going on and the role that plays in a leader's life? I love Chris because he asks these loaded questions, these loaded questions. Yeah, I would just say to every human being, every human being, whether you are an introvert or an extrovert, right? We are actually designed to be in relationship. We're designed. That's the way we're made. Uh, the studies have shown, take a human being, separate them from people and they begin to die, literally die. I don't care who you are. You are made to be in relationship. Um, secondly, and, and I would just argue again, just theologically, if anybody's, when you think about God and the essence of God, what he, what God is a relationship, the perichoresis, three beings, all one with all their own personhood, the father, son, and Holy spirit. They designed us in their image to be in relationship, remain in their image. So no matter who you are, even if you do not have a faith, you're made to be alive through being in relationship with people. So that's the most important part. You can't do this in isolation. I would just say, secondly, spiritual formation doesn't happen in isolation. Because you guys know if you're married or not married, when you get in relationships with other people that are imperfect, like you, let's just all admit together, we are all imperfect people. You collide. But what does the collision do? It shows you, you, that, that, you know, whenever you get upset with somebody or someone hurts you, Chris, you illustrated this earlier in our conversation in reflection. That's a gift. You say, what? What's the gift? The gift is you have an opportunity to look deep within yourself and say, something in me isn't right. That doesn't happen if I just isolate myself. But when I'm in community, I collide and then I have the trust of a community that won't abandon me as I find my confession or I'm truthful, as you said, find your truth or speak the truth. A community of people that aren't going to leave me. Oh my goodness, Chris, you just shared that with me. I'm out. And so when you have a community that has that agreement where I can be vulnerable and be seen and you guys are going to encourage me and help me, what a beautiful picture of how formation happens as you have that agreement. But not every community is like that. And I will just say to some of you, it's not safe in your community to be vulnerable. I'm not saying go out there and start being vulnerable. You probably have to have some good agreements together with every community you're in, a church community, business community, what your vulnerability is going to look like. And that's going to be a different depth depending on that agreement. Well, and, and you, uh, again, great point. Uh, being intentional and careful with the community that you, um, you know, pursue, uh, you know, it's my opinion that as a business leader, your community should not be the people you lead. 
hundred percent should not be the people you lead. Now it doesn't mean you can't have relationships with them, but when it comes to like, Hey, you've got to talk about hard things. Somebody isn't performing or somebody's not a fit, or there's just stuff's happening in the market and you got to make some changes. You need a safe place to do that. And it's got to be a, a, a community outside of your immediate business reports. Uh, it, it, you know, whether it's other business owners or, you know, a, a small group at a church, whatever it is, you've got to find a community where you can do that. And I love what you said about the agreements. Right? When you start to pursue a community, what are the expectations? Now, what, what are you, how are you agreeing yes. you're going to show up? And how are you going to deal with conflict? How are you going to deal when somebody gets upset? Like, what what does that look like? Um, because authentic community doesn't just necessarily happen. And uh, you will have those moments where you butt heads and mm, somebody's upset at another person. How are you going to handle that so that it's not a threat to, um, you know, dissolving the community and, and creating, you know, division in that? And you've got to foster that. And it's not you know, there's, there's three sides to every story, my story, their story, and the truth. And you all have to be willing to enter into that, that work, that work of relationship where you are going to rub off on one another. And it's, it's not easy. And so authentic community cultivate, finding it and then cultivating it, um, are not easy things yet. Yeah. I, I I just, I picture somebody in isolation and like they come back into the world and they're just going to be weird. (laughs) Just going to be a weird yes, person. Exactly. So, like being in that community is is it is really important, and and I know it's a, a lesson I've learned myself of like the importance of having that authentic community and uh, where you can be yourself and unload some of those things that are burdening you and say, "Hey, am I crazy and feeling this? Here's what happened today. What's my blind spot? You know, help me." And I know my wife is uh, one of those most important top people for me. That is like, dude do you just hear yourself? Are you like, are you nuts? Like, you know, really kind of holding the mirror up to me and, and, and making me realize, Oh yeah, I am not as perfect as I think I am. <laughs> yeah. With, with Chris, you bring up a great point to build relationships with a few people that you give them permission to share with you, your blind spots. Yes. That's a gift of community. Uh, Hey, what vulnerability you just modeled there, Chris. I love that, that you have some trusted relationships to, to recognize you can't see your blind spots, but to have some people in community that you say, hey, I give you permission to approach me. Can't do that with everyone to approach me and let me know. So that Because why? Going back, I mean, it's interesting, Chris, because we talked about silence and solitude, and now we're talking about community. But let me just, can I bring them together for a second? I spend time in silence and solitude so that not so I can continue in silence and solitude. I spend time in silence and solitude so I can enter community because the best person I can offer to people is my transformed self. And that doesn't happen if I'm not in silence and solitude. And that doesn't happen if I isolate from community. I need both. So if you're like Phil and Chris, you were talking about silence and solitude, now you're talking about community. Yeah, it's a rhythm of both. Just like work and rest, Sabbath, right? Work and rest, signs and solitude, and you're with people. Um, and I'm the best. I'm the best version of myself in a sense when I've had that balance of silence and solitude, and now I enter with people and I can be present and be with them. It's kind of like what the brain does um, when we sleep, right? The brain flushes the the toxins 
out every night in certain phases of our sleep, right? So if we don't sleep right, if we don't sleep well, we don't get quality sleep. That's why their studies are being done where they're finding that dementia uh, and, you know, brain issues like that are linked to not good sleep. Um, then we have trouble. And it's kind of the same thing with solitude and silence and contemplation. We're, we're able to kind of process through the toxins, the, the negative stuff, the bad stuff, and, and kind of let that go. And then we can kind of come back to people again, more of our transformed self. And, and it is a, a recurring cycle, right? It's not just one way. It's like, okay, well, I, I, Silence, solitude. I go back into to community, and then uh, stuff happens. Then I go back into silence and deal with it. And I go back, you know. So yeah, yeah. So it's a good cycle, and one we need we need both of them. Yep. And I would say to extroverts, work on the silence and solitude. And I would say to you introverts, get out of. <laughs> you need yeah. to get hey, in a community. You got to stretch yourself, yeah. and and you got to really work. I understand you find life by being alone, but you got to stretch yourself by being in community. So both have to stretch a little That's bit, right. a, li- a little bit here, Chris. Thanks for joining us today. Our journey with Phil Carnuccio doesn't end here. Join us again in episode 14 for the conclusion of this conversation where Phil will share his 15 years of insights into the rule of life, which is a concept that can revolutionize the way you approach both leadership and personal growth. In next week's episode, we'll examine a topic that's pivotal for every leader, understanding and embracing your unique identity. We'll unravel what identity truly means and what it doesn't, as well as discuss the pitfalls of tying your self-worth to your profession. This episode is packed with powerful insights that we're eager to share, offering valuable perspectives to enrich your journey as a leader. Until next week. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Overflowing Life. If our message struck a chord with you, please subscribe and connect with us. Share your thoughts, questions, and stories with us on Instagram at The Overflowing Life or visit TheOverflowingLife.com. And if you're looking for coaching that helps you create an overflowing life, please reach out to us. We'd love to partner with you. you.